Just going to talk a little bit, talk a little bit about prayer this morning, and then we're going to pray corporately as a church this morning. Lord, we thank you for this incredible thing called prayer. And Lord, we confess that we don't wholly, completely understand it. There's somewhat of a mystery to this thing called prayer, that you invite us into the work, that you invite us into the throne room, that somehow we pray and you respond. It's wonderful. It's glorious that in your sovereignty, you've called us into that ministry. We confess we don't fully understand it, but Lord, even more potently, we confess that we really don't do it enough. There's not a single one of us in here that says, well, Lord, I'm praying too much. But we'd like to pray more because we know, we believe, we proclaim as the word proclaims that prayer changes things. We are living in a community that needs to be transformed for Jesus Christ. And our own individual lives need a greater degree of sanctification. And so we're asking that this morning, Holy Spirit, you would encourage us and even teach us a little bit as to how to pray. We want to be a people, a church that prays. So Holy Spirit, come and speak to us now. Do a wonderful work in our hearts concerning prayer this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I just prayed that the Lord would do a good work in our hearts concerning prayer. But let me say this. I believe that God already is doing a wonderful work at this church concerning prayer. I really believe that he is. Uh, I'll tell you what. We had prayer meetings at 6 a.m. every day the week before the Avocado Festival. And we had no less than 100 people here every single day praying at 6 a.m. for five days for the Avocado Festival. Yeah. I think that's glorious. I think that's a move of the sovereign God. I think that's a move of the sovereign God. I've never been involved in a stronger movement of prayer. I think God is doing a wonderful thing in this church with regards to prayer. And as a pastor, I rejoice in that. I rejoice in that, but I at the same time say more. More, Lord. Lord, we see what you're doing. And it is both satisfying us and making us hungry for more. We see that, Lord, you're able to gather 100 people five days a week at 6 a.m. to pray. But, Lord, why not 1,500 people? Lord, why not more? How about a greater move in our midst, in our church, in the churches of our community with regards to prayer? It's strange to us that God's people so often seem to have an aversion to prayer. There seems to be a reluctance, an aversion to prayer. I mean, we will definitely say, yes, prayer is good, and yes, we should pray, and oh, I want to pray. We'll say those things. But where the rubber meets the road, there's often an aversion or a reluctance in God's people to pray. And what's weird, what's just, I'm going to not call it weird, I'm going to call it perverted. What's twisted is the fact that there's often an aversion amongst God's people to pray in church. I don't understand that, really. I mean, I can conjecture as to why I think that is, and I have some ideas, and I'll mention them. But it seems to be a general theme in churches that when people come, they don't really want to pray. Oh, they love it if the pastor will pray. And they're happy that there's a prayer team, but they themselves don't really want to engage in prayer so often. Example, case in point. One of my associate pastors was recently preaching at his grandfather's church. 
his uh, father's a pastor and his grandfather is a pastor and his grandfather was sick. And so uh, one of my associate pastors on staff was filling in for him. And his grandfather was very, very sick. And so he, before his message, he got up and he said, listen, church, we're going to pray for my grandfather. He's in the hospital. Here's his condition. It's life-threatening. We need to pray. People are like, yes, 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 we need to pray. And then he said, we're going to pray right now. I want you to turn around and grab the people around you, and I want you to begin to pray right now out loud and fervently. And they looked at him like, And I'll tell you what, this young man on my staff had a Holy Spirit moment. He, in absolute authority, said to them, do not look at me funny because I've asked you to pray in church. Wow. When he told me that story, it made so much sense to me. Why is there this reluctance? It's already happened in some of our hearts this morning when I said, we're going to teach a little bit about prayer, and then we're going to spend time praying. Some of you went, oh. You mean you're going to pray, right? Pray. You're gonna, we love when you pray. Pray, pray, pray. No, we're going to pray. Oh, just in our seats, quiet by ourselves? No, we're going to stand up and lift our hands and pray out loud. Oh, no, some of you say. And yet Paul said in his epistle to Timothy, I want men to lift holy hands everywhere in prayer. And I want you to see here in Mark chapter 11 that Jesus encountered this aversion, this reluctance, distractions, in the prayer life of his people. In Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 15, and they, being the disciples, came to Jerusalem. Mark eleven fifteen, And Jesus entered the temple and began to cast out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a robber's den. And the chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for all the multitude were astonished at his teaching. Jesus here, after his triumphal entry, just a few days before the cross, goes up to the temple grounds. He would have been there many times before. And he sees the commerce that's going on. Now, we've belabored this at other times. I don't want to belabor the context right now. But suffice it to say that the priest had allowed that there was a commercial structure that developed in the temple. That when you came to the temple and you were going to make a sacrifice, you needed to, of course, have a sacrifice that was approved, but it was very difficult to get your sacrifice approved unless it was purchased there at the temple mount, and those sacrifices were pre-approved by the priests. And so you would come and they'd say, you can't bring that old sacrifice. You need a pre-approved priestly sacrifice right here. And then they say, fine, oh, fine. I definitely need to sacrifice for the Lord. I got some sins that need to be forgiven. Here's my money. I want to pay for it. Oh, we can't take that kind of money. That's Roman money. You need to have temple money. And so go over to the money changer now and change your money. And as money changers always do, you know what I mean? They're looking to make a profit off the top of that exchange. And the priest had allowed such that there was an exorbitant profit that was made off the exchanging of money. And then once you exchange your money and you took this great loss, you now had your temple money, you go over to buy your priest-approved temple sacrifice, and lo and behold, the prices have gone up. I mean, five minutes ago, yes, this was a cheap sheep, but now, ho-ho! top dollar. And so 
there was a perversion that was happening in the house of God. There was a perversion that was happening in the house of God. And what the perversion proved to be was a diversion from the ministry of prayer. That's what it hindered. When Jesus saw, he dealt with it. He overturned the tables and he chased out the money changers. He got rid of them. We're told that another time when he cleansed the temple in John chapter 2 that he made a whip. It doesn't say explicitly that he used that whip, but if the Son of God makes a whip, I bet he's planning on using it. He doesn't make any mistakes. He chased them out, and he overturned the tables. And he said, this is a distraction from the primary purpose of what my people are to be engaged in in the house of God, and that is prayer. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. The Lord speaking from the book Isaiah. My house shall be a house of prayer. Now, the temple is not perfectly analogous to the church today. It's not perfect by way of analogy, but it's somewhat analogous. So the, the temple then was where God's people would gather to worship God, and the church is now where God's people gather to worship God. But we're also told in the book of Corinthians that we are the temple of the living God. Be that as it may, be that as it may. Wherever there is a distraction from the purpose of prayer, it needs to be overturned and cast out in Jesus' name. Whether it's in the church or in our individual temples, our heart, so to speak. Jesus said, my house is to be a house of prayer. And we have a tendency to make our corporate gathering about everything but prayer. Certainly is a house of preaching, but it preaches for at least an hour every Sunday. Definitely is a place of praise, and preaching and praise are good, but not if we neglect the primary purpose of God's people in the calling to pray. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, and we now as a community, we as a church, we as a body need to take stock today and just make sure that we're not neglecting prayer. Just make sure that the house is a house of prayer. Just be positive that there's no aversion in our hearts to praying corporately. That there's no distraction. That there's no uh, unnecessary commerce happening in, our, happening in our hearts. Jesus would not permit them to carry any goods through the temple. Perhaps some goods that are being carried through your heart daily that are causing you to be distracted from this thing called prayer. We just need to make sure that Reality Carpinteria, our church, is a house of prayer for all the nations where anybody can come and experience the presence and the power and the person of God through prayer. Just need to make sure. And we need to ask ourselves corporately and individually, is there anything that needs to be overturned in my heart? There are tables that had to be overturned so the people could get back to prayer. Is there anything in your heart that needs to be overturned? Anything in your heart, in our corporate heart, that needs to be driven out as Jesus drove out those money changers that day? If we only understood what a glorious gift and opportunity prayer is, we would pray so much more. And the fact that we neglect so glorious an opportunity, so great a gift can only be accounted for by the foolishness of men. 
We can only chalk it up to how foolish we are. I mean, let's be honest, guys. Come on. The fact that we are so quick to neglect prayer in our individual and corporate lives, it can only be accounted for by saying, well, we're foolish. But I go one step further and say we're wicked. Because prayer is such a great and glorious thing. That God invites us into his presence, into his heart, into his work, and that so few people are willing to do it more regularly is foolish and wicked. And that's who we are. And that's why Jesus Christ died upon the cross. So we've been forgiven, but we've been redeemed. Jesus loves us just like we are, wicked fools, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And so there comes a process of sanctification, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, where you're transformed into the image of Christ, where you're made more like him, where more of the word is brought to a place of application in your life, where the word of Christ is dwelling richly in us, that process of sanctification. And I believe that the success or the amplitude of sanctification is best measured in our lives by our prayer lives. I believe the more that we know the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we would pray. And if we just realize these three simple points about prayer today, we would pray with passion. Three simple points about prayer. It'll just take me two minutes to tell you about each one. You need to realize that our prayers are precious. Our prayers are potent. And our prayers are promised. Our prayers are precious. Our prayers are potent. And our prayers are promised. Number one, our prayers are precious to God. You must understand that fact. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. The book of Revelation is where we have some of our most profound glimpses of heaven. And in Revelation chapter 5, we have a glimpse of heaven. And it says there that there are golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, you've got to strip away any connotations you may have attached to incense. Well, any connotations you have from uh, Eastern mysticism or the hippie days, the 60s just rocked you or whatever it was, strip away those connotations. And throughout the Bible, incense was something that was a picture of a pleasant atmosphere. And it was pleasing to those who would inhale that scent. And it's God who is inhaling the scent of the prayers of the saints in heaven. And it's a golden bowl meaning it was wonderful and glorious and valuable. <laughs> in heaven, our prayers are kept in golden bowls, and they're like incense before God. They're so pleasing to the Lord. My little daisy love, she's just three years old. And you know, when you're three and you're a girl, you have the cutest little voice. You know what I mean? At least my daisy love does. And I get up before the rest of the family, and there's not a single day of my life where I do not wait to hear her voice. I'm waiting to hear her voice in the morning. And it's always the same thing. Somehow, we didn't tell her that somehow she's convinced that she can't get out of bed unless she asks us first. I like it, really. I don't know how it got there. Maybe just the Holy Spirit of God just, don't get out of bed until you ask your mommy and daddy. I don't know what it was. But every morning, can I get out now? 
and I'll pretend like I don't hear her just so she says it a few more times. <laughs> Can I get out now? It's so cute. Yes, thank you. And then she comes running out. She's three years old and we've never cut her hair. It's just long, like down to her waist and she just gets the craziest bedhead you've ever seen. Just white, crazy bedhead and she just comes running out and my heart just goes Now God is our father and he waits on high to have compassion on us. He is waiting to hear your voice in the morning. Your voice is pleasant to him in every way. You are precious and pure and undefiled because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he waits to hear the voice of the children. That is one of the reasons why God has ordained this thing called prayer. He simply loves to hear from you. Our prayers are precious to the heart of God. But beyond that, our prayers are potent to change things. Our prayers are potent or powerful to change things. James 5.16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Or as another translation says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. That's a promise of scripture. Now you say, oh, but those are the prayers of a righteous man. Yes, but each one of us has been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says so. And so our prayers are powerful with God. 2 Corinthians 10 says so. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. When it says divinely powerful, it means literally our prayers have power with God. For the destruction of fortresses, what fortresses? Demonic strongholds in our community demonic strongholds in our lives and the lives of our children and in our families when we come against them in prayer in Jesus name they come down Amen. our prayers are potent to change things it says there we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Every time the Bible talks about prayer, it's in the context of prayer changing things. There's this false pious idea that, oh, prayer doesn't move the hand of God, prayer moves us. It's true, prayer does do a transformative work in our hearts, but that is not the primary purpose of prayer. The primary purpose of prayer is to change the way things are. I challenge you in Jesus' name to show me something other than that in the Bible. It's a mystery that God submits in a certain way his sovereignty and his will to our prayers. We don't ever override his will. But when we pray according to his will, he moves. And so often we have not because we ask not, James says. Prayer changes things. I mean, what about Elijah? When he prayed that it wouldn't rain on the land for three and a half years, and guess what? It didn't rain. And then he prayed again, and it rained. And the Bible says in James chapter 5 that Elijah was a man just like us. He was a person just like you and I. There's no difference between us and Elijah except for maybe the intimacy that he had with God. But that's available to each one of us. And he prayed, and the whole world around him changes. What, what about Hezekiah? You guys read about it in your one-year Bible reading this week in Isaiah chapter 38. Hezekiah was going to die. Isaiah the prophet told him so. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord and said, would you please extend my life? And the Lord said, okay, 15 more years. Who doesn't love that? 
That's great, right? What about Joshua? In Joshua chapter 10, when Joshua saw, well, you know, we need to get the victory here today. We need time to stop and the sun to stand still. And he prayed and the sun stood still in the sky. Tell me prayer doesn't change things. What about Moses? When he was up on the mountain in Exodus chapter 32 and the people made the golden calf and they began to worship the golden calf as a God that brought them out of Egypt and began to commit acts of sexual immorality around the golden calf. God said to Moses, Moses, get down the mountain. I'm going to kill these people. And God was perfectly justified in his righteousness to do so. But what happened? Moses simply said, God, would you please have mercy on these people? And God says, okay. And it says there in Exodus 32, it's a verse that we're very uncomfortable with. It says there around verse 14 or so, and God changed his mind. When Moses prayed, God changed his mind. Now, not in the way that we change our mind. We change our mind because we're wrong or we were lacking information. God is never wrong and he's never lacking any information. When it says God changed his, minds, it, his mind, it means that he relented from an undesirable course of action. Why? Because he was simply asked to extend mercy. You have not because you ask not. Just one man on behalf of a whole nation said, God, I know that they deserve to be wiped out, but would you please have mercy? And God said, yes. And he spared them. Now compare that to Ezekiel chapter 22, where Israel was in trouble with God again. And it says there in Ezekiel 22, roundabout verse 29, that God looked for a man who would stand in the gap and plead the cause, but there was no one that would do so. And so God brought judgment upon the people. They deserved judgment, and God's righteousness demanded that they be judged, but God prefers mercy over judgment. And when Moses asked for mercy, God said, yes, that is my heart. You, that, you are praying according to, that is my heart, yes, and he gave mercy. But in Ezekiel 22, when nobody would stand in the gap, they didn't receive mercy. There has just now landed upon our shoulders a tremendous moral responsibility because we just learned without question that prayer changes things and that the mercy of God is extended into a community by the way God's people pray in that community. And when nobody stood in the gap for the community in Ezekiel 22, there was no mercy. I am asking us today if we will stand in the gap. I am asking us today if we are willing to just ask God for mercy on behalf of others. I'm asking us today if we will believe that prayer changes things. And so just ask God for simple things and believe with simple faith that he'll do them. Amen? Amen. And the last point is this. Our prayers are promised. Our prayers are precious to the heart of God. Our prayers are potent to change things. And our prayers are promised to be answered. 1 John 5, 14 through 15. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. We can have confidence that when we pray according to God's will, we have that thing for which we've asked. Our prayers are precious, our prayers are potent, and our prayers are promised to be answered. Sometimes the answer is no, and we ought to rejoice in that because God is an all-wise God. But he always answers the earnest prayers of his people. 
And so I ask you, I ask myself, I ask us as a church, understanding that prayers are precious to God, that they are potent before God to change the world around us, and that we have a promise of answered prayers, why do we not then pray more? It's the folly of man. It's the foolishness of man. It's the self-centeredness of man. It is the love of ease and comfort and slumber over God and the things of his kingdom in man. There's just no way to divide it any other way. And so what do we do today with that? Well, we get right. We just start praying, man. No big deal. <laughs> we just start praying. We just start praying. Now, the vast majority of the prayers in Scripture are for other people. There is a time to pray for yourself. We all do so. Yes, absolutely. But the tone and the tenor of prayer in the Scriptures is intercessory prayer, standing in the gap for somebody else. And that's what we're going to do today. And once again, we're being called to get over ourselves. Remember when we talked about worship two weeks ago, and I said, you know, we come to church, and, and it's so often all about us, and so real worship never happens. Because we come saying, I want my needs met. I want to be in my comfort zone. I want church. You know, we have a consumeristic idea about church. We really do. We shop for churches like we shop for other things. If it's perfect for me, if it's the right deal, if it's going to work out with what I have going. And because of that, because we're so into ourselves, true worship seldom happens. Now, it's the same thing with prayer. You got to get over yourself if you're going to stand in the gap for other people. And that is why prayer so seldom happens, real intercessory prayers, because we are self-absorbed. It is all about us and all that we're doing and all that we want. And very few Christians, unfortunately, can get beyond that to actually engage in praying for others. And I know that we come to church needy. I know that. We come to church needy. But we just got to make sure that we're able to put our needs on the back burner and be mindful of the needs of others as a church. Because I'll tell you what, I read my Bible, and I know what it says about Christianity. It says that Christianity is about God and others. It's not about you. Christianity is about God and others, and we're just a conduit in between the two. Christianity is about God, the worship of God, and others, ministry to others. It's not all about us. I found that if you worship the Lord, and you endeavor to minister to others, God will take care of you. He'll just always take care of you. And so if we're going to have some real prayer, we need to be willing to get over ourselves. Now, what might we pray for? How about salvation for people in our community? How about start praying for the salvation of the nations? What might we pray for? How about the immigrant population at Carpinteria that's not being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ right now? How about over half of Carpinteria that is non-English speaking immigrant workers and there is not a vibrant work happening among them for the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Maybe we could pray that God would birth a new work in our town. I'll pray for that all day. What about praying for the poor in our community? The oppressed? How about interceding for widows and orphans? How about single moms in our community? How about praying against demonic strongholds in our community? Because our prayers are divinely powerful and we can tear them down through our prayers. How about praying against humanism? How about praying against selfishness? How about praying against secularism? How about praying for our schools? Preschool, elementary, junior high, high school, and the colleges in the community. 
How about praying for marriages, that they would be healed, that men would repent? How about praying for families? <laughs> women too, fine, pray for the women. <laughs> I've just found as a pastor, it's usually the man. How about praying for families in our community? That God would strengthen families in the family unit. How about praying for the government because scripture commands us to pray for the government, local and national? How about praying against the stronghold of drugs and alcohol in our town? One of our home groups this week, one of the members of the home group had a brother who was addicted to heroin and uh, he had gone missing and the home group was praying for him. He had asked that the home group would intercede. This was just, I think, Tuesday night. And they, they began to intercede. And one of the ladies, led by the Spirit, said, Lord, we just pray that he would get arrested tomorrow. And that morning, he got arrested in Jesus' name. <laughs> Listen, I used to sell drugs, and I got busted for it, and I got arrested for it at Carpinteria High. That was good for me. I got no problem praying that drug dealers would get busted in our town today. What about praying for holiness in the church? <laughs> you know how many more people will get saved if there is holiness in the church? So we're going to pray. First, we'll get our hearts right. We'll sing a little song. Might have to come forward and get on your face a little bit. Prayer team will be up here. But as we're praying in a group this size, it's a good idea as we pray out loud to use a big voice so that people can agree in prayer. Because when you're praying corporately, what you want to do is agree in prayer. And there's promises in the New Testament about agreeing in prayer and the power thereof. So we want to agree with you in prayer. 600 of us just agreeing in prayer. So give us a nice big voice. Now, if people start to pray at multiple, at the same time, multiple people, just let God sort it out. Don't trip out. It's all good. God could handle a multitude of voices. Now, when there's 600 people that are going to pray, you can't pray long prayers. I'm a long prayer. I love long prayers. But long prayers are generally for the prayer closet or small prayer groups. Honestly, they really are. But when there's 600 people, we want to agree with you in prayer. And that means we need to track with you. And because we're such weird people, we can only track for about 20 seconds. <laughs> no, honest truth. That's a spiritual thing. I'm not kidding around. It makes no sense with 600 people to pray a long prayer. Read the Bible. There are a couple long prayers in there, but most of them are short, direct, and to the point. That's a great way to pray. We don't need to give God a sermon. He wrote them all. We just tell them what we have need of, but now we're just going to stand in the gap. And we'll intersperse it with some music and stuff like that. Let's stand... And we're going to sing this song, Purify My Heart, just to get our hearts right, just to turn over and cast out anything that's in there that shouldn't be in there that's keeping us from praying. We're going to sing this song. If you need to come and get on your face, that's wonderful. If you need help from the prayer team, if you need prayer today, because we're praying for others, so if you need prayer today, the prayer team is here for you. Let's get ourselves right, and then let's just enter into some intercessory prayer.